If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to NFL.com and NFL Network fantasy analyst Adam Rank about marking out on wrestling and his previews for all the action around the upcoming WrestleMania. And we will break down all of the happenings in the sports world that have nothing to do with sports. And we will declare this the only show that is a Sister Jean uh, free zone this week. (laughs) We'll, We'll leave... We'll leave uh, the wonderful Sister Jean to everybody else in sports media. I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And that's no knock on Sister Jean. Hey, I'm from Chicago. I went to a Valley school. God bless Sister Jean. Go Loyola. And joining me on the phone this week is a respected, feared, tall PR Mm. guru who has logged time with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Millard. Adam, did you have Loyola in your Final Four? I did not fill out a bracket this year. Me neither, man. I, I find it liberating to just turn on the games and be like, "Yes, oh, cool." I'm just rooting for whoever I feel like in the moment. Yeah, I haven't. I've made a conscious effort. Uh, well, one thing, full full transparency. I don't participate in anything. I don't think I can win. And because <laughs> because I did not uh, follow college basketball much this year or spend much time even watching uh, the programs leading up to the tournament, I thought, no, not this year. And I've woken up every morning almost surprised about who's playing that day, and I think that's the way March Madness is best watched, as you say. Yeah, I uh, I've I've honestly l- watched less games than I've listened to podcasts about the games, <laughs> which I find disconcerting. Shout out to uh, One Shining Podcast, the uh, the Ringer Show, with uh, our friend of Pod, Mark Titus. Anyway, not with us because he's covering the Final Four this week. It is Gareth Hughes, our producer extraordinaire, and uh, also not with us. Shockingly, breaking his Cal Ripken streak of being on every episode of Just Not Sports. It is Joe, <laughs> Joe Reed, <laughs> who, uh, who we, will, we will bring back soon enough. Ladies, you can stop writing the letters. Uh, uh, we, we get too many, we can't even open them. I, I don't know how we're reaching the younger demographic without Joe Reed. I know. He must you know, be ages 30 to 56 listening to us. I just I just pay a lot I pay a lot of uh you know uh, Gen Zers to just like download our show and then and then unsubscribe and then resubscribe to keep the Nielsen people on their toes. All right, now right now we're going to take the open of the show and make it wide open. Anything around the sports world that is not the sports world is fair game. So Adam, I want to start with something that I found very close to our world in the um in the, in the marketing space, in the marketing sphere, if you will. And this was the Milwaukee Brewers putting out a 
uh, an homage, if you will, to the old school movie The Sandlot. Uh, did you did you see this video? I did see this video. And oh. I, though I'm not a baseball fan in general, it was awesome. It was really great. It had like you know eight or nine of the Brewers recreating that scene in the Sandlot where they first hit the ball over the fence and. Um, and, and it, not only was I shocked at like how much some of the guys like actually looked like some of the characters, which I thought was, was really funny, Adam, I was legitimately shocked. They got this many professional athletes to say correct lines on camera. Uh, and I, it just made me think about all the times we have struggled to get athletes to say a message or deliver a certain line in an interview and how many times they botch things. So did, were you impressed at the, at the level of acting skill uh, that we were able to see from this? And I'm not even joking for our listeners. I'm not even joking no. around. If you, if you never tried to get a professional athlete to say something uh, word for word, it, it can be <laughs> a slight struggle. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's no knock on professional athletes in general. It's just not what they, they are performers, but not, scripted performers and so it is difficult to put any layman into that role however I think it's and I'm going to pat our, I'm gonna, it's going to sound like I'm patting ourselves on the back for this but what we've discovered on this podcast whereas if, if you can get guys bought into something or participating in something they're interested in uh, they tend to be more engaged and I think that was the case for this video I think uh, most of these guys uh, partic- most of these guys have probably seen the Sandlot, and if not, they're familiar with the general plot. Um, and, and one of the Brewers was so passionate about it. You, Brad, you probably know who this is. But one of the players was really involved in directing it and making sure that the players got their lines right. And it's Stephen have- Stephen Voigt Voigt. Yeah, I don't know either. Hey, sorry, Brewers Nation. I'm a Cubs fan. I don't know how to pronounce all your team's players. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was because of his leadership and getting the guys really excited about this. Uh, now, we don't know how long it, it took. Uh, the lighting looked relatively the same, so it looked like it wasn't an all-day shoot. Um, but they seemed to all nail their parts pretty well and very faithful to the movie in terms of even expressiveness, laughing at the right time, body language. So, yes, extremely impressed by the execution of this. And then also just reminded me of what a great movie The Sandlot is. All right, hot take. I'm not a Sandlot fan. Really? It's okay. Um, it's okay? It, it would not make my top – I mean, it's not like my top three to five baseball movies, I don't think. The reason I thought it was brilliant is because it it paid homage to that movie, but also to the spirit of what it means to play sports and in particular baseball. When you're that age, uh, you're relatively the same skill level uh, and you're out playing just to play. And I think when we talk about professional baseball, any professional sport, clearly there are a lot of guys who play because they love it, but there are also guys who are playing for the paycheck. So to see these guys return to their roots of the sandlot, um, you could tell that there was a general joy uh, in participating and producing this piece of content um, and really 
it it sparked a love of joy for me for baseball. I have really hard time because of the rules and the length of the game uh, watching a televised game, but it did make me think like, oh, this is why this is America's sport, or used to be. So, Adam, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. We're not going to talk about the athletes who are do- have done the worst with messaging, but who are the ones that you've worked with that are the best at like nailing a line that you gave you gave them? Uh, well, I'll give you a couple. So, not only I wouldn't know, I don't know about nailing a line. But so I, I guess we have to do the um, I have to do a client disclosure here. I work I spend a lot of my time on the Gatorade account and I work regularly with Eli Manning and J.J. Watt. And not only do those guys deliver what you give them, but they actually make me feel dumb because they deliver it better than I wrote it. So we have a message that we're trying to get them to convey. And those two guys in particular, and Jimmy Johnson being another one, they will take the material you gave them and they will expound on it and say it in a way that seems so authentic where, you know, we, you know how it goes, Brad. We email these documents back and forth and sometimes they're edited so much that it seems, uh, it almost ceases to feel like the human language and the way that humans speak. And you give it to one of these guys and they will take it uh, and deliver it in an interview or on a piece of content and you go, oh, wow, yeah, no, that was it. I was wrong the whole time. Yeah, I've worked with Peyton before. He's very good. The best I've ever worked with was Derek Jeter. I remember once I had to get him to recite a huge, like, you know, five or six paragraph um uh, you know, introduction to a to a sales meeting for a client, and so, uh, like on video. So we, we went down to he was at spring training. We went down to onto the field, and we had a setup there with a with a teleprompter, and it was right before they they were like, okay, right before he comes out for practice, you can you can do it, and he ran over. And I had him do, you know, one read and he nailed it. And we did another one as a backup and he nailed it. And then one last time and he, all three, he just got perfect off the teleprompter. It was really good. Um, which is, I think, sometimes even harder than just giving it to him and saying, hey, put this in your own words. Right. But a guy, a young guy who I, I was really, uh, really impressed with was Carl Anthony Towns. I worked with him right. recently I- and, and he took one look at the messaging and he made some sort of comment about, I don't know if he's got a photographic memory or just some kind of really good memory. And I was like, okay, I know you say you got it, but like, we got to like go through this again. And he's like, no, I got it. And they just rattled it off. And I'm like, all right, you got it. <laughs> great. Let's go. <laughs> let's get this done then. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's always great when you can get a guy who would just look at the materials in advance. So I, um, as you know, I once worked for the Green Bay Packers and oh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers was always great with a message. I mean, we did messaging every day. Uh, anytime there was a team issue, um, I had a messaging document sitting in in his locker, and he memorized it. And I had a chance to work with him at an event um, about this time last year. And he showed up, and he got out of the car. And as we walked down the hall into the interview room, I asked him if just to reel off the messaging. And sure enough, he had – memorize the entire sheet um so yeah it it sure does make our jobs a lot easier and and i worked with jerome bettis once and he said something that i thought was really awesome which is 
hey, if guys just realize that if for these types of uh, marketing appearances, if they just showed up five minutes early and they look at the messaging in advance, you can make money for the rest of your life. It's true, man. I worked with Jason Terry like 15 straight times because he just kept nailing it. I was like, come on, let's keep, let's, let's go back to Jet. I don't care if he's doing product <laughs> for, named after another athlete. Let's bring Jason Terry on to it. <laughs> All right, moving on. One more thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, speaking of Carl uh, Anthony Towns, his teammate, Andrew Wiggins, making news and not for the reasons you expect. Uh, it's for his fandom of Michael Bolton, the singer. So this is this one was a headline I just didn't really believe until I took a look <laughs> at it. I guess the Wolves, like for a a scoreboard kind of like in you know a timeout feature, had Andrew Wiggins listen to, and I'm gonna butcher this, Lil Uzi Vert. Lil you Uzi, are correct. Lil Uzi Vert and one of yep. the songs that he he liked or he played. And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's good. I've heard it a few times." And then they go, <laughs> "Then they go, what about this song? Which do you like better?" And they starts playing Michael Bolton's "How Am I Supposed to Live Without You," and and Wiggins is just quiet, and he's like, "I like this one better." <laughs> and I couldn't tell if it was a bit or if maybe he just didn't, even, if if he had no idea who Michael Bolton was and just thought it was a contemporary artist. I, what did you make of this, Adam? Oh, I think this is the first time he ever heard this song, and that's what makes it so amazing, is the look of uh, nostalgia. Although not nostalgia for the song, but maybe nostalgia for a long-lost love. Long-lost <laughs> love. Uh, he goes into such a place. He, he puts on his game face, but in a happy way, uh, and he gets – <laughs> the camera is zooming in on him uh, as he listens to the song, and he says, I, I like this one better. And he is so happy. It's uh, it's impressive. It's honestly amazing. And it makes me wish that like the Lonely Island guys would get, would get together with Wiggins and Bolton and do sort of a follow-up to that Pirates of the Caribbean song they did <laughs> with him, man. I, it it really made me smile. Like it legitimately made me smile, and it it did not come across as fake at all. It was it was just like, oh man, I think he I think he really digs this. I think he's into this. <laughs> and it, and he is known to be um, a really shy guy. He I actually have worked with him um, right after he graduated. We had him at our uh, Gatorade Athlete of the Year awards. And he was so quiet and so shy. He did media for hours. You could tell for him, because of his personality, that it was particularly painful to see this kind of joy on his face uh, was was a lot of fun. Ah, I love it, man. Hey, uh, Andrew, if you're in Chicago, uh, we'll take you to see Bolton in, in, in concert. Just Not Sports is picking up. We're picking up that tab if you pay for parking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's I, Adam. Anything to add, or is that wide open? That's wide open, buddy. That's good because right now we have an interview that is the it, it, you know it's the equivalent of one of those marathon thirty minute everybody sweating WWE matches that ends with a surprise kick out 
and uh, and, and turnaround pin that makes an entire arena explode. Uh, if you thought Andrew Wiggins was excited about Michael Bolton, just wait until you hear Adam Rank talk about wrestling. <laughs> that is right. Adam Rank, you know him as uh, as one of the top fantasy gurus on NFL.com and the NFL Network. Uh, Adam, tell us a little bit. You, you've got a back. You, you've got a history with Adam, correct? I do. So I first met Adam. I'm giving Gatorade a lot of plugs in this segment, but um, <laughs> don't worry. They'll make up for it by giving us zero ad dollars. But it's fine. <laughs> Adam underwent a scientific protocol uh, with the Gatorade Sports Science Institute, and as you'll hear soon, interestingly enough, it was the same year that. Uh, Andrew Luck tested with the Gatorade Sports Science Institute as well. And we've we've kept in touch ever since, both personally and professionally. I see him every year at Super Bowl. He is a great human being, and I knew he would be really fun to have on this podcast. Yeah, and Adam's a huge wrestling fan, so we just went deep into it. We, we talk about history, favorite old-school uh, performers, uh, favorite old-school wrestlers, we talk about the upcoming WrestleMania. We talk about Ronda Rousey and, and what she's got to do to get the, the WWE fan base to, to buy in. And, of course, that infamous Montreal screw job. Uh, we go deep on Adam's own theory about what really happened that night. So enjoy the interview and stick around. After that, Adam and I will be back to give you some distractions. Adam, thanks very much for joining us today. My first question is this. How can we possibly get mad at something like Deflategate in a world where the Montreal screw job exists? Exactly. You know, that was one of the biggest uh, miscarriages of justice of all time. Although it is a little weird. Can I say one thing about I? I'm an HBK guy. So this is uh-huh. going to be tough. I'm going to be a little bit biased, but... How dare Bret Hart be like, I can't lose in this entire country. Like if the situation <laughs> was reversed and they're yeah. wrestling in St. Louis and Shawn Michaels is all like, hey, uh, I told you I wouldn't give up the belt in America. Would everybody have been cool with that? It's like it's not like it was your it's not like he was in the, the Hart family dungeon and he was asking you to, uh, you know, <laughs> tap out to the sharpshooter. So I think you can slow your roll. And I still think to this day and I'm I, my friends think I'm nuts which is not a, a, a huge surprise. I still think it's a work. and I think it's the best work of all time. And uh, until somebody proves to me it wasn't, I will always contend that it was a work. I was watching that clip today, actually, in preparation, because we, we, we do the research on Just Not Sports. And <laughs> it's just too convenient that Vince McMahon is right there. Like he's he's floating around ringside for no real reason. He's not he's not really in the match in ways that we've seen him do other other stuff where he becomes part of the spectacle. So for him to get spat on in that moment did feel very convenient when you really break it down. And he goes and gets potatoed in the locker room. Uh, if you watch the Beyond the Mat, uh, was it no? It wasn't Beyond the Mat, but it was one of those. Uh, I think it was beyond the mat. It might have been beyond the mat. And uh, and uh, Bret Hart's wife is yelling at Triple H, but she's calling him Hunter. 
Which backstage, like, wouldn't you be calling him Paul? Like, if you ever watch anything else, they always refer, he's always referred to as Paul. But they kept, she's still saying his kayfabe name, which just seems weird. Um, which is always a weird thing for me as well, because I'm actually, listen to me, I have friends. Uh, no, one of my friends is a wrestler. Uh, he's, in, uh, he's in NXT. His name is Jeremy Fritz. You might know him better as Eric Young. And it's always the weird thing is, like, when I introduce him to people, like, when I introduce him to my wife, I'm like, this is Jeremy? Like, I don't know what to, I don't know how to handle that or anything like that. It's always a weird thing. But that always stood out to me is that his wife is calling him Hunter. So I'm like, God, this has got to be a word. Why wouldn't you do your friend a favor? Like, look, bro, go down to Atlanta, make a ton of money. That company's going to be bankrupt in two years. You'll be back here swimming in cash eventually and uh, go about it that way. So I'm still going to contend. I'm still on the, you know, conspiracy theorist. It's all a work. Well, let's get into that a little bit because for our listeners who don't know the wrestling industry or fanboy terms, explain what a work is. Uh, A work is that something that's scripted, but you're really trying to play it off that uh, that it's real. And obviously, anytime that you go to watch a, a wrestling match, you, uh, you're watching a work. Like, this is what they want you to believe is a reality in this space. And, uh, and it's similar. I know my wife always had the hugest problem with it at first. Like, how am I just supposed to go along with this? I'm like, I don't know. How do you park yourself in front of days of our lives and understand that this person, you know, this is an actor. You know, this is Kelly Monaco. She's playing this character. I don't even know if she's in that soap opera or not. But these are actors and you're watching a, a stage performance like you would go out and you'd be watching a play. And uh, when it happened, you know, they played it off uh, like this was a real this was unscripted. And, you know, Vince McMahon screwed over Bret Hart. And it was because otherwise, why would Bret Hart even agree to get into the sharpshooter in the first place with a guy that he legitimately did not like in real life? Bret Hart. And Shawn Michaels did not like each other in real life. So it would seem weird that you would get put into your signature move where something like this could possibly happen. So it it all just continues to seem way too convenient for me. And and kayfabe, can you explain that a little bit? And and there seemed to be a time in wrestling where there was a cultural shift in talking about wrestling as something that was real or we were going to – keep that that air of mystery about wrestling and then a transition to where wrestlers were allowed to be themselves off camera uh can you speak to that a little bit yeah back in the 70s 80s and even for most of the 90s uh it wasn't until pretty recently that we've all come to accept that what we're watching is a staged performance and i think this was more prevalent in the 70s and 80s where you had legitimate bad guys and good or not legitimate but you had a clear division of bad guys and good guys. And not only were you portraying this uh, character on the stage in the wrestling ring, you also had to continue to play this character in the airport at the, at the truck stop at the restaurant. Whereas you weren't allowed to be seen with somebody that you were feuding with on stage. You know, like if Ric Flair is feuding with the Randy Macho Man Savage, they weren't allowed to be in the same car together. They weren't allowed to be in the same restaurant eating together. You had to give up or give out the aura that this was a, you know, this carried over and it was kayfabe and it was 
that everything extended. The world was your stage. You were Andy Kaufman. You were constantly performing and there was, you could not pull back the curtain at all. And really only backstage was when you were allowed to, to be friends and do everything like that. And, you know, and uh, there's certain people today um, who still continue that kind of mindset. If you follow any professional wrestlers, uh, Instagram or Twitter accounts or anything like that, most of them will have a departure where it's like, Hey, you know, I'm the, you know, I am, uh, I'm Braun Strowman. Uh, he's a bad one because he still kind of keeps to his character, but like Xavier, Xavier Woods, um, who's a legitimate PhD, like on the show, he's Xavier Woods. And then off the show, you know, he's himself, you know, the PhD who's super bright and super into comic books and super into video games and everything like that. Um, but you still see some guys continue to play it. Uh, Cody Rhodes, who's no longer in the WWE. He's part of New Japan Pro Wrestling and the Ring of Honor. Um, he carries his gimmick all the way through real life. So he's constantly in kayfabe. He never huh. reveals that he's, that everything is fake or that anything is fake. It's all legitimate. And it's, it's fascinating and it's fun to watch. And it's, it, it's enjoyable to see the people who are so committed to it that they want to continue to, uh, to live the gimmick so to speak. And uh, I mean, I do that, you know, with fantasy footballs, I still pretend <laughs> that I'm good at fantasy, even when fantasy season's over. So I'm constantly in kayfabe and have to remember that. Yeah, it's funny because I was a big wrestling fan in the 80s and into the early part of the 90s. And I'm, I'm with you that back then they did not really... Uh, openly kind of acknowledge that that it was fake, and we we would debate whether it's real or not. But but everybody kind of becoming more into the the theatrics and the production of it has also coincided with I think sports media taking wrestling much more seriously. We, we've seen the rise of pretty serious criticism and cultural criticism of it as an art form or, or sports. You, you see mainstream media personalities, whether it's, you know, Bill Simmons or Clay Travis or, or, or you know, our, our good friend, Julie DeCaro, who, who really make a, a point to analyze it to their audiences, either in social media or on their, on their various sites. So why do you think the sports world has, has, I think gotten more and more um, serious about the, about wrestling, even though it's become far more, entertainment than sport in a, in a weird way. Yeah, it feels ironic because they really thirsted. Uh, there was a real thirst to be seen as legitimate in the seventies and eighties. And finally, when they gave it up and are like, yeah, this is a, this is a television show. Then everybody just kind of bought in. Um, I think that you see it in um, with companies like ESPN. They're still looking for a younger demographic and trying to find people who are very active on social media. And I think uh, as far as a profession goes, professional wrestling does a great job of extending beyond what you see on the television screen. Uh, they have their own network, but they all the, all those guys are very active, got men and women uh, are both active on social media and, and everything like that. So there's a, there's, a, there's a huge following. So it makes sense for you know Fox who is going to possibly be bidding to start broadcasting the WWE or ESPN or CBS Sportsline or anything like that to kind of, you know, they kind of follow it along. And so they've, they've had to go and just kind of follow the suit because so many people are into it that it seemed, uh, it would seem foolish to ignore because, you know, just the way that we watch sports has evolved over the last number of years. And I think that even in the seventies, I'm, I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. I'm, not even old enough to know any of this stuff about like the wide world of sports, but I think that they probably would have 
followed somebody like Andre the Giant or somebody like that right. who's a, a cultural phenomenon. But, you know, I, uh, I just feel like it's something that you can't ignore and it's something that they want to embrace. And I think wrestlers, you know, they do such a great job with the crossover and you, you watch any, any sort of event, like whether it's raw or anything like that, uh, if they're in Los Angeles, you know, Michelle Beadle's going to be in the first row or there's going to be a number of uh, Lakers or right. LA Rams or anything like that. So it's a, it's too much of a crossover for it to be ignored. Let's talk about the old school guys before we get into like what's going on in the current state. Cause you know, I think the eighties was when it, you know, that was the first real national explosion of the personalities, um, you know, leading into, into the nineties when it moved into prime time. So who are the wrestlers that you followed closely enough when you first got into the, you know, when you first got into WWE and, and, and what was it about them that drew you in? I always uh, skew towards the heels. I don't know what it says about me as a person, but I always like, I always like the bad guy. I don't know why I'm. I don't know why like I'm associating with the the Macho Man Randy Savage or Stone Cold Steve Austin right. or The Rock. But there's something I, I think it's uh, you know it probably goes back to something that actors say is that it's so much more enjoyable to play a bad guy because it's an extension of yourself that you never really get to explore in real life. You know, I mean, I think we would all like at some point to, you know, if you're in an office situation and, you know, somebody has left eight seconds on the microwave without resetting it, I would like to have a microphone to call somebody out and then beat them in a match just, you know, because I feel so egregious, which is kind of what we're watching is like these people with workplace disputes or fighting each other. So I don't know what it is. It's just, it, it, it's just, you know, why you root for somebody like Darth Vader or anything like that in any sort of uh, movie or television show. Like, I shouldn't be rooting for this person, but for whatever reason, I'm really drawn to them. And I think that uh, The Rock and Stone Cold were just so entertaining that you couldn't help but be drawn to them. Because the good guys are always kind of boring. And you're like, ah, oh, like, like, I get what he's saying is the right thing, but I want to watch the guy who makes a lot of jokes and, uh, and does things like that. So, with that in mind, are you a bigger fan of babyface Hulk Hogan or NWO heel Hulk Hogan? Oh, NWO heel Hulk Hogan. Wow. I'm sorry. I just love I loved Hollywood Hogan. I loved the whole NWO thing. I remember, you know, when all that stuff was going down, uh, just being like my friends and I, uh, just being so excited, like going back um, – going back to school the next day, you know, on Tuesday, you're, you're so excited to go talk about, you know, the NWO and everything that happened. And the internet was just starting to become prominent, you know, and uh, which is part of the reason why you had to pull back the curtain so much is that the internet pretty much spoiled everything. Um, but, you know, just going in, you'd go in and talk about it. And I remember distinctly uh, coming back because I was just, I was just watching the shows and being entertained. And when we thought that Sting had, you know, kicked Lex Luger in the in the stomach and had given him the scorpion death drop coming out of Ted DiBiase's limousine, like I was crushed. And then we had this one friend who actually had the internet and knew everything. He's like, "Oh, you didn't think that was Sting, <laughs> did you?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, I did because I'm an idiot." But what was who was you know it was it was some other guy dressed up as Sting that was supposed to supposed to um supposed to fool us. And so, yeah, I, I just dug the NWO. It was one of my favorite things of wrestling. I could not wait to watch wrestling 
every Monday night. And I still love the WWE at that time or the WWF as it was then. Uh, still loved it. But man, I was so into the NWO. I thought that was great. So how much wrestling do you watch these days? More than I would like to admit. <laughs> um, if I can pull back the curtain, we, uh, we were, uh, we're, we're, we're recording this on Monday ahead of, you know, raw that's going to come on Monday night. Last mm-hmm. night in Long Beach, I went to uh, King of Sports, New Japan Pro Wrestling. I went to their show. Wow. They had a four-hour house show, and I was there uh, with my nerdy buddies, and we were marking out for everything, and marking means uh, Mark is a wrestling fan who – it's kind of funny because Mark used to mean wrestling fan who believes that everything's kind of real, uh, believes in all the kayfabe and everything, but now it's just become a a term for a wrestling fan. Um, But it was amazing, so we watched that. I also watch NXT. I watch some Ring of Honor stuff. I watch the Young Bucks uh, YouTube series, Being the Elite. I watch probably more wrestling than I should. And it's, uh, I don't think it's great for me. I'm surprised that I'm still <laughs> married. Um, thankfully, thankfully, my wife's into it. Uh, she likes wrestling. So she really loves it too. My daughter's into it, sort of. She loves the entrance music. Like she loves. She loves Nakamura because his entrance music's so cool. Um, so I get away with watching it more than most people because my wife affords me that opportunity. But of course, I've got to take it one step further by watching New Japan because that's where she draws the line. She's like, "Nope, this has gone too far. I can't, <laughs> I can't sign off on this. You, you've, you've gone too far." So uh, I spend a lot of time with it, probably more than I should admit, but I do. I do. I, I do. I, but I watch it all. I watch the Raw, the SmackDown, watch NXT. So that's three nights of wrestling right there. And then whenever I can catch New Japan matches. So it's if it's not scouting, you know, if it's not watching, you know, NFL games or baseball, then it's probably wrestling. You know, the biggest story seems to be, uh, or at least from the mainstream sports side of it, seems to be Ronda Rousey's uh, forthcoming match debut. What's it going to take for fans to embrace her? And what do you think about her? And I'm being generous here. Her rocky start here in the uh, in the first few weeks, uh, as I think she, everything from her delivery during her monologues to her her you know the speculation around how much skill she's going to bring into the ring has been pretty heavily scrutinized. Oh, it is. And you know, there's a there's a number of uh, great examples of people who've been able to cross over from legitimate um, mixed martial arts or any sort of shoot fighting. I mean, Brock Lesnar uh, was a legit college wrestler, total badass, uh, obviously has made a great transition both from the WWE to UFC back to WWE. And it looks like he's going to go back to UFC. Kurt Angle, who Ronda Rousey is going to be tagging with at WrestleMania 34. Also another guy who was able to, be an Olympic gold medalist and then smoothly transition. Uh, we've seen Ken Shamrock be able to do it. Uh, Kurt Henning was actually a legit uh, college wrestler himself. And he, he actually got into a fight on an airplane with Brock Lesnar because they were feuding over who was a better amateur wrestler. So there have been individuals who've been able to make that, that transition. And I think uh, the biggest thing for Ronda Rousey is just learning how to express herself when she's cutting promos, because there's a, there's a certain way that you have to, 
to to speak. You can be the aw shucks, I'm just happy to be here, celebrity, having a good time, to where now she needs to be a performer and talk like a performer. And I think what they're trying to shift to now is that she's looking at, she's she's kind of being more of a silent assassin type, just kind of a quiet badass who's going to go over there and just mangle people. And I think they'll they'll probably try to bring her along that way and hopefully she can develop on the microphone uh, as, as well as some of the others like Kurt Angle has done. And if she's not able to, then perhaps they can pair her with a mouthpiece like uh, Paul Heyman or something like that. But she's going to be given every every opportunity to, to succeed. And she's athletic. Uh, she should be able to make a transition grappling-wise. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if she can tell tell stories in the ring the way a lot of um, other wrestlers are able to do it. Uh, I think that the fans are behind her right now. It'll be hard for people to boo her. If she becomes bad, like if, if it's not working, then they'll have to kind of embrace that. Um, I do think that if eventually she goes up against Asuka and is the one who ends Asuka's undefeated streak, then everybody will hate her. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how they handle that. But I think that she's going to be successful as long as uh, she continues to put in the work. And of course, as a high-profile person making the transition, probably the most famous female mixed martial arts uh, artist. I don't know if that's the way you say it, but uh, the most famous UFC fighter of all time, maybe. So she's going to have a, a huge spotlight, but I think she's going to make it work. Well, there have been some athletes along the way who, who although didn't do it full time, uh, had interesting spot appearances in the WWE. Um uh, Let's go through a quick list, and I would like to get your opinion, even if they're not on this list, of who the most convincing celebrity wrestler was, and then maybe someone who should stick to their day job. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, Dennis Rodman, Carl Malone, and Reggie White are a few that come to mind for me. Any of those stand out to you? Yeah, they. Um, it's tough. Uh, Kevin Green was in that mix, too. Uh, Jay Leno. Uh, but some of those guys, when they came in, it's, it's funny when you, Jay Leno was just so terrible, but it's funny because these guys are so athletic that you really have to appreciate, uh, the guys who do this for a living. Cause even somebody like athletic, like Lawrence Taylor, and perhaps they might've been on the wrong side of their, their playing career, but they're going in there. Like you were a hall of fame athlete and you still <laughs> somehow don't look as smooth as you should. So it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of off-putting. It, 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 I guess for me, it gives me more of an appreciation of uh, what the professional wrestlers are able to do and, and how they're able to perform. Because um, of all those people, like they don't, none of those guys really stood out. I don't remember being like, oh yeah, that guy's good. Like Stephen Amell, uh, who plays the Green Arrow on the CW series of the same name, like he's gone in and done some professional wrestling and looked pretty good. Like he was doing, you know, jumps off the, off the rail railings, you know, jumps off the top rope. Um, he's going to be in the Cody Rhodes young bucks, uh, pay-per-view that they're putting on called all in in September. So he's, he's actually showing some, some pretty good wrestling skills, but for the most part, I think anytime there's a celebrity match, it's always a disappointment. Number one, because the celebrity is always going to beat the WWE superstar, because for whatever reason, Vince McMahon has this, weird perversion with like anytime there's a celebrity you're already winning like like um floyd mayweather beat the big show like really like you think that would happen <laughs> in real life like floyd mayweather 
can barely knock out people his own size. And yet I'm supposed <laughs> to believe that he's knocking out this dude who's seven feet tall. Like I can't like I I'm I'm here as a wrestling fan suspending belief enough for a lot of this, but this is way too far. I might believe that that Kane was born in hell and was the demon seed rising from the ashes, but this <laughs> is too much. This is too far for me now. I can't I can't get into that. So there are some celebrities that, yeah, like I remember Jeremy Piven. Like I, I, I do appreciate the dudes who go for it. Like Jeremy Piven got off the top rope and jumped and he was caught by a guy, um, which everybody thinks like, oh, that's not that big a deal. Like you've got to have some, you've got to have some guts just to climb up. Cause that ring is already up in the, like it's five feet off the ground. And then you're climbing on a ring post which adds another, you know, element of danger to it. And, you know, hoping this guy is going to catch you. So that I appreciate, but some, some celebrities are like, Hey man, you're a good football player. Why don't we stick to that? Well, so tough enough is probably my favorite reality TV show of all time. Knowing how difficult it is to, uh, even train to be a wrestler if we could get a sports commentator version of that together, can we count you in for that? Oh, I would do it. Yeah, I would do it. I'm so I'm so jealous of Pat McAfee. Uh, he's going to be doing some of the panels for the WWE at WrestleMania uh, in a couple of weeks or in a, two weeks, whatever. It's, it's coming. Gosh, it's a week from Sunday, actually. Um, yeah, I would love to do that. I really wish one of my friends who uh, who's a professional wrestling writer. His name's Brandon Stroud. He's with uh, Uproxx. He does with Spandex. Um, he's one of the best writers out there, but he went to wrestling school for at least a week because he said, if I'm going to be one of those guys who is going to write about the sport, then I should at least have some, some baseline of understanding. You know, like a lot of people, like, you know, I work in football. I've at least played football at the high school level, so I have some semblance of what goes on. Obviously, it's not really comparable to the NFL level or even – the college level, but I still know what practices are like and what Omaha drills are and things like that. So he did the same thing. So if I was ever given the chance to try to work out, I'm getting old though. So I have to do it quick, but at some point I think I would like to do that. If you could take over WWE, um, what would you do? Uh, I guess both storyline wise and just overall business wise, like what would, what, how would you run the company if it was yours? You know, there was a Raw a couple of weeks ago um, that was so great. It was, uh, they, they had this, they, they came out and they started a gauntlet match. And Seth Rollins wrestled for a complete hour. And he beat, uh, he beat Roman Reigns. He beat uh, John Cena. And then he lost a lot. Like, it was the markiest, like, like it was like a fan walked in and was like, Here's what I want to see. It was like, I don't know if it was somebody's last night and they were like, just book Raw however you want. And uh, it was one of the best shows. I mean, I can remember why. I'm like, this is amazing. Why can't it be like this every week? Um, my biggest thing for wrestling, my friends and I were actually talking about this uh, before going to the show on Sunday, is what would we do? And I think the one thing, uh, whenever you watch wrestling, if you're ever in a live performance and you see what these guys go through, uh, just to put together a, mat, a match, you know, it's a stunt show. It's a high-risk stunt show, and the injuries are so prevalent. I think that they need a little bit of a break. I mean, Raw goes every week for 52 consecutive weeks. There's no break. These guys are on the road, and I think it just starts to wear thin. It seems like they run out of creative ideas sometimes. Like, if you 
like any show is going to run out of creative ideas at a point. And I don't know what would be the best time for them to necessarily take a break, but we had decided because you don't want to take a break after WrestleMania because wrestling's hot at that time and people are amped for it and are going to continue to watch. But I think if they went up to SummerSlam and SummerSlam was kind of like the end of the season and you would just have all these things is to give these guys a break or men and women, give them a break from SummerSlam and then bring them back around Thanksgiving right around the time. Cause the WWE always has a tough time uh, with their ratings going down right when football starts because Monday night football starts and everything goes down. So if you just use that as a natural time to take some time off, let some guys heal, finish all your storylines and then go ahead and then map out, you know, another nine months worth of storylines that will culminate with WrestleMania and SummerSlam and everything like that and give them a little bit of an opportunity to come back and you start on Thanksgiving with Survivor Series, get everybody hyper again. Because that's usually when, you know, I'm a Bears fan, so that's usually when my team's eliminated. So I'm back interested in wrestling again. So I'm like, yeah, cool, let's start it. So that would be my biggest thing. Let's dive into WrestleMania 34 and, and maybe go from the main event and track backwards a little bit. Brock Lesnar... I think most of our audience is pretty familiar with versus Roman Reigns. Can you give us a little bit about the the current storyline and who you see coming out on top in this one? Well, Roman Reigns is a guy who everybody in the WWE has wanted to succeed for quite some time. He's the cousin of The Rock. He's a, he's a handsome, charismatic guy, but for whatever reason – the WWE crowd has just rejected him. And that's one of the things that wrestling audiences do is if you force us to root for a guy and they write the storyline, like Roman Reigns is going to be this good guy who never loses and always does the right thing. And you know, he's a, he's a true champions champion. Then us as wrestling fans, because we must be degenerate people are not going to cheer for him at all. And we're going to go the other way. Because we want to make up our own, you know, we want to make up our own mind. We want to, we want to put people over. And I think a number of years ago, we saw an example of this with a guy named Brian Danielson, who was very popular on the independent circle, got signed to the WWE. They changed his name to Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, didn't push him, made him seem like a loser, like a dork. But the fans just kept rooting for him over and over and eventually pushed him over the top. In WrestleMania 30, uh, he won both WWE heavyweight titles, unified the championships. It was one of the greatest moments uh, for me as a wrestling fan. I was there at the uh, New Orleans Superdome, or Silverdome, as uh, Hulk Hogan called it that night. Um, so that was, you know, so that's what happens with wrestling fans. You have Roman Reigns going up against Brock Lesnar, uh, Lesnar super over people are huge fans of him, but I think the secret is out that he's not going to renew his contract. He's going to go back to the UFC. So we see this playing out that Roman Reigns once again for the fourth consecutive year is going to be coronated as the universal champion. Uh, everybody's going to hate it. And uh, <laughs> we're going to go home. upset. That's just the way it's going to be. The only possible exception. Yeah, and they've been kind of playing this this angle up on uh, on Raw, although they, they, Brock Lesnar has been no showing, and so then last week he shows up and kind of potatoes Roman Reigns when he's hand. It's so convoluted. Roman Reigns was getting arrested. It seems ridiculous to tell these stories 
Um, but Roman Reigns <laughs> was being arrested, and he was in handcuffs, and, and Brock Lesnar was hitting him with a metal folding chair. And it all makes perfect sense in the, in the WWE. Like anywhere else, you would be arrested. But no, this made perfect sense. Um, the only thing that I think that they could possibly make this, make everybody go home happy and would actually harken back to WrestleMania 30 because WrestleMania 34 is in New Orleans once again, is for Brock Lesnar not to show up. Paul Heyman shows up with the belt and says, hey, Brock Lesnar is not going to wrestle. Here, just take it. And Roman Reigns picks up the mic and says, look, I don't want to just be given this, this title. Is there somebody in the back who's willing to come out and fight me for it? And then Daniel Bryan's music hits and the crowd goes. It would be, the, it would be literally the greatest moment in wrestling history if that happened and Ryan went out to once again win the title. It's not going to happen. And now that I've built it up for me, it's now, I'm now going to be disappointed. There's nothing that can happen now. I'm obviously going to be disappointed that it's not going to happen this way. Um, but what's going to happen is Roman Reigns is going to do it. We're all going to, you know, be bemoan it and uh, life will go on. Well, that's an interesting theory, and maybe you get a part-time writing gig. Oh, if that happens, yeah. I should put that down. I should just – I've tried to tweet that. I've tried to breathe that into existence, see if I could change their booking at the last moment. Well, there's a so there's a ton of other matchups. Rather than go through them individually, are there any that you'd like to highlight or any that maybe haven't been announced that you would like to see? Well, I'll give you some of the highlights. Uh, I'm going to do uh, – let's do a top three things you should look for uh, looking at the card right now. I think, of course, uh, one of the big ones is going to be Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey against Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. That'll be interesting for a lot of people, um, obviously, because Ronda Rousey is such a, a high-profile name and to see how she's able to perform. Um, she'll be given a chance. Stephanie McMahon, I mean, she's not a – She's not a full-time wrestler, so it'll be interesting to see how their their styles are able to mesh and what kind of uh, moves they'll be able to do. Uh, but I'm hoping for the best and expecting the worst. Uh, but on the exact opposite of that, uh, the women's match that everybody wants to see is Charlotte Flair, uh, the daughter of Ric Flair, the athleticism. She's a very talented wrestler against Asuka, uh, a Japanese wrestler who has never lost, never lost as a WWE wrestler. I know it's amazing. That uh, And so that's the big thing now is everybody's wondering when she is going to lose it. But she was the, the Royal Rumble winner uh, for the women. We expect her to beat Charlotte Flair in what should be an amazing match. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. The Miz, Seth Rollins, and Finn Balor are going to be fighting for the Intercontinental title. Uh, the Miz's wife is pregnant. And is she is oh. due like right around WrestleMania time. So it's expected he's going he's gonna to drop the title. So it, Games like Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, uh, and what could be this could be actually the match of the night. It should be three, it's three great guys uh, going at it, and of course whoever wins it doesn't matter. Rollins or Balor, those guys will continue their feud uh, for the next couple of months. So we'll be getting a lot of great matches out of them. So that'll be pretty fun. And then uh, obviously the uh, the most anticipated match of the whole show will be AJ Styles against Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, for the WWE Championship. Uh, these two have a long history dating back to New Japan, where they had some epic battles. And New Japan has a stronger style, pun intended. Um, it's a lot more violent. It's a lot stiffer uh, than opposed to what the WWE encourages and allows. So it'll be 
interesting to see how much these guys are able to get away with, but this is going to be a, a pretty amazing match. I expect this to be the first match of the night. They'll have a couple of dark matches. Uh, they'll probably have the, the men's and women's battle Royal. They'll probably put the cruiserweight championship in the pre-show. And then when WrestleMania properly starts, I expect AJ Styles and Nakamura to lead it off and uh, everybody to get fired up and enjoy that match and uh, everything. So there's some good stuff to, uh, to really look forward to. Uh, Braun Strowman is going to be battling for the tag team titles. We don't know who his partner is. Uh, on one hand, there's a lot of people hoping that it's going to be Daniel Bryan who comes down and tags with them. Um, Logic says it'll be Elias Samson who uh, has been feuding with them. And uh, the worst case scenario is that it's Hulk Hogan. And then, uh, then I'll hit the not oh. Hollywood Hogan, not the cool one, red and gold <laughs> Hulk Hogan. And then that'll make me uh, want to throw my TV screen out the window. <laughs> so let's just to wrap this up. I, I know that you love. Oh, have I been talking tag? too much? I feel like I've bored you. No, guys no, no, we love it. Why did we bring this guy on? This is too much. Like this guy likes wrestling a little bit too much. Apparently you have not heard this podcast, sir, because this is right in our wheelhouse. Well, I love it. I'm happy to be here. Thanks again. I know we're not closing up, but thanks again. This is fun. Well, I do have one semi-related NFL question for you. So you love tag team matches. I know you've said Vince McMahon does not like them, but you, having grown up watching Christian and Edge, you love the tag team. If you had to choose one current NFL player, and I'm going to go skill position because you, know, you can't pick a linebacker or lineman. Skill position player in the league right now, who would your tag team partner be and why? Oh, man. Well, there's a couple of different ways I could go with this. I know he's not a skill position guy. Um, I think we could have an interesting angle if Bontez Burfick was my tag team partner because yes. he, went, he, well, he went to my rival high school. And so we could play it up like we're rivals and we don't like each other, but we have to be tag partners. Because I always, I always love those kind of tag teams where they're like the two guys don't want to be tag team partners, but through, but, but through circumstances, they have to find a way to make it work. So I think that could be an interesting dynamic. And he could come out in his centennial shirt and I'd wear a Corona shirt. And then we would, you know, we would eventually, you know, have to find common ground that we are from the same hometown and we need to, to go for the championship. So I think that could be real fun. Like that would be cool. And he's crazy. So he would be the crazy guy. I would be the dude on the mic, just, just cutting the promos and he would be the enforcer. Um, I think that would be, you know, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, but I think the, that would be really cool. The flaw though, is that he'd be suspended for the first four, uh, f- first four <laughs> minutes of any match. That would be part of the intrigue. All the theatrics I would have to go on to avoid an, uh, a butt beating while trying to get him into the ring to help carry me. Um, and if that one didn't work, if Vince wouldn't go for that pitch, I would really like to, uh, I would really like to team with Andrew Luck. Cause I think that both of us love Ooh. neck beards and we could do, oh. uh, we could have some sort of, you know, some team like the beard brothers or whatever. And let's be honest. If you've seen him uh, with his helmet off, like he's getting that, he's getting the bald spot. And there's going to be a time he's going to have to embrace uh, the Chrome Dome. He's got to go full hassle back like me. And, uh, you know, we could look like, you know, the club. But the one thing that people don't realize about Andrew Luck is that he's a big dude. Like, he's, 
he's as big as Cam Newton, you know, and everybody thinks how large, you know, he is like, he's a, he's a sizable human being who's very athletic and can run and do a lot of things. And he's heady and he's smart and he's from Stanford. So, you know, I think we could, I think we would, uh, I don't know what our team name, rank, luck, the A, double A brothers. I don't know. Well, we can still workshop that, but I think he would be a, a, a perfect <laughs> choice. And again, He's somebody, if you ever listen to him talk, he, you don't need him to talk. Like, I'll, I'll be the talker. You're the muscle. You go out and win, and I'll get, you know, the crowd fired up and everything like that. So I think we could work really well in tandem. The high IQ quarterback from Stanford is the muscle and not the talker. Right? Listen, Andrew Luck's one of my favorite players. Um, but he's just so goofy when he talks. You're like, oh, oh just go throw the football. You're doing great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, you have inspired you've inspired me. I don't know about you, Brad, but you have inspired me to shut it down tonight and watch all of WWE Ron. It's been a long time since I've been able to do that. So thank you for the time and the inspiration, Adam. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you guys for the opportunity. Because you know what? The, the people who are really thanking you are uh, my coworkers who sit around me because they're like, <laughs> I don't want to hear you talk about this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm getting back to my ways. All of these lames I can't deal with them. I think I need a vacation. They just be testing my patience. Cause I'm the best in the nation. I gotta get to the money. I ain't got time to be wasted. Cause 26 with the rock. Cause 21 with the stick. Don't be crossing the line like a blitz. Don't be crossing the line of the sit. All of this money I spent. All of this money I get. I'ma stay a savage all the time. 21 to 26. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they go out and do interesting things that we want to know about and then immediately are told by fans to get back to watching game film, stop being a distraction. That's ridiculous. On this show, we celebrate the things that others call distractions. And each week we tell you what's been distracting us in our lives. Adam, lead us off here. What's uh, what's distracting you? Uh, as you know, I'm into weird things uh, and trying weird things. And one of the things I've started doing, because I've heard about the benefits, uh, both physically and psychologically, I now start every day with a ice cold shower, Brad. So I uh, I have a boxing timer on my phone. I set it for I set it for three minutes, um, three minutes on warm, uh, and and do my my normal cleaning, uh, and then thirty second break in between rounds, and I turn it down all the way until it's ice cold, and uh, I stand for three minutes, which is a very long time to stand under under freezing cold water. Uh, but when I'm done, I feel like I, I had a cup of coffee, uh, my, my mood, I can feel the adrenaline spike a little bit. My mood is generally better and it also helps reduce inflammation, uh, following my morning workout. So that is my new distraction. And believe me in those three minutes, I want to be distracted from anything other than that cold shower. That's super weird, man. Yeah, I'm weird. I'm weird why again like well brad similar to you i listen to podcasts but my podcasts um 
sometimes involve a lot of bro science, uh, but I went <laughs> on the internet, which is a perfectly reliable source for research, um, and I were well, was able to find what seemed to be a pretty good body of research that supported all the benefits of a cold shower in the morning or following a workout, uh, and I generally have felt better. I've been I've done it now for eight straight days, uh, and I. Do not envision myself stopping. It really is a great way to start the day. Um, I get dressed. I walk outside. I feel clear-headed and refreshed. So it could be placebo at this point. We'll see what the effects are long-term or if it continues to have a positive effect. But I'm really enjoying it so far. Nice, man. Well, uh, I'm never going to do that, but uh, knock yourself out. <laughs> I uh, figured. All right, mine is, I don't know if you saw this making the rounds online. Uh, I might butcher some names here, but there's a, a woman, and I'm a little unclear what she is, um, if she's a comedian or just an average person. Her name, I think, is Lisa Rifle. Uh, Rifle. Anyway, uh -huh. she she put out a video where she said she morissetted her husband for like a month straight, and, and by what? that I mean she, she sang... Like loudly in an Alanis Morissette voice, the the lyrics to "You Ought to Know" at all these random times, like he's falling asleep and she just screams out like lyrics, and That's she funny. put it together in like one video. And by the end, he legitimately looks like he wants to die. <laughs> and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I played it for my daughter, and my daughter, my four year old, and she thought it was so funny. And now she's been doing it to me. She just walks around like, "I hate to bug you in the middle." Of dinner, <laughs> <laughs> and I just got to give a shout out to this woman because it's it's legitimately one of the funniest things I have ever seen. I laughed so hard, and I got to if she if that's legit and she like legit kept doing that to him the whole time. Like I got to give her all the credit in the world. Adam, you really need to look this up and watch it. It's too. Funny. I'm I'm looking at it now, uh, on mute. But yeah, pretty good. Oh. It's 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 brilliant. It's so brilliant. I it's one of those things that made me happy that the internet exists. You know, like at times you like really hate the internet, and other times you go, I never would have realized that this could be a thing. But God bless it. Awesome. <laughs> All right, that is our show for this week. We will end with some shout outs. Shout out to Gareth working the final four. Shout out to Joe Reed in Seattle. Shout out to Adam Rank from NFL.com and NFL Network breaking down wrestling. That was a lot of fun. Uh, shout out to Alanis Morissette, uh, <laughs> Team Alanis, uh, screw you, Dave Coulier. Uh, any uh, any other shout outs from you, Adam? Uh, I'd just like to shout out uh, my boy Uzi, Def oh, yeah. Jeff, Lil Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin, Ron. That is the ultimate Royal Rumble crew. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, Booty rappers. Booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Peace. Now.